the Wrong Side of the Red Line Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. So I want to start today out with a story that kind of connects to the uh, the Stars' 2-1 to win against the Florida Panthers the other night. Okay. Um, it's the trade deadline, and uh, it's the NHL trade deadline last Wednesday, and where we've all been at the rink for way too long. We're waiting at the rink. It's like 3.30. We're waiting to talk to Jim Nill after the trade deadline. And uh, we go back down towards where the Stars locker room is to talk to Jim. And uh, Kari Lantanen and his son are out on the uh, out on the ice just passing a puck. Kari's son is wearing skates, a helmet, and a hockey jersey. And Kari is in just like, the you know, like the typical tracksuit, like, just they're just passing the puck. It's father and son time on the ice. Uh, however, the uh, the thing that I la- had to laugh at, and which will connect to the game against the Florida Panthers, is there's Kari Lennon's son on the ice wearing a Colton Sevier number seven Florida Panthers jersey. <laughs> wow. Why? And I. It was. I didn't get to ask Kari directly because it was uh, something I, I I was just reminded of while watching the game the other night, so I'll have to ask him. But my, the point of my story, the moral of my story coming down to is what this comes down to is Colton Sevier is and was such an underappreciated hockey player by by both uh, both in general and within the organization and I think across the board. But Kari, the Lettinen family at least realized he had somebody last year who could kill penalties. And that's what I think. That's why I think he, he his son wears a, a Colton Sevier jersey. That was a beautiful burn. Yes. I appreciate that burn. Well, Colton Sevier actually, and, and for one, I'm talking to someone who watched him, who likes, likes him as a human being and watched him move his way up through the AHL and move his way up there, but... He's an underrated missing piece of this team from last year. We always talk about, oh, they don't have, uh, they don't have the defensemen, they don't have Demers, they don't have the, uh, they don't have Goligoski. But losing him and losing him and uh, obviously hindsight being twenty twenty, losing him and Fiddler just made this team's penalty kill so much worse. I mean, losing losing them and even before they lost Yamark made this team worse. And I think a lot of people forget that. Because um, Colton Seaver was a pretty good two-way hockey player, and um, last and on, when they played against the Panthers the other day, um, it was his first game against Dallas since he signed with them in the offseason. And I was reminded all all of that. He had a couple chances. He killed penalties. And you're thinking like this is a fourth liner. Like this is this is a guy who was a homegrown Dallas guy that another team's taking advantage of now. Well, right, and I. I mean, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but I mean, even back at the time, he seemed like going into last offseason as one of those guys that you thought they were going to bring back just because, I mean, he's still, what's he, like 27, 28 years old? He's not that old. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. Letting Fiddler go, I could sort of understand because you want to give one of the young guys another chance, but he seemed like one of those guys that, you know, he's still young. He's in the prime of his career. He has a lot of value to this team. Why not bring him back? Yeah, I'm going to look up his cap at his uh, contract right now because he's a guy who I would have definitely, stars, I wanted to see them bring back. I thought he was a good fit. He was a very good, uh, Not he was also a really good locker room guy too, which is, 
that's something that people people talk about that all the time, but I think it's something that gets understated. Um, he was he's also a guy who I thought was a really good example for other younger for younger players too, just because there's something to be said when you look at a guy who was worked his way up through the AHL, was a scorer in the AHL, and then found the way to make that transition to play in the NHL. Because a lot of guys can be a point-per-game guy in the AHL and then never find that next step, never find the role they need in the NHL. And Sevier did that. I always thought he was a really good example of that. I do miss him. He was a good player. Yeah. And he's one of those guys that, I mean, he's always doing the right things. I mean, it's such a cliche coach thing, and whenever a coach says that, my eyes want to roll back into my head so far that my spine just rolls out of my anus and I just die. But, like, he's one of those guys. Like, I, you hear that in, I, I hear that with Notre Dame football a lot. Like, Brian Kelly's always like, we, we got the right kind of guys mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, the right kind of guys are the guys that help you win games. So let's not let's not BS this at all. But he was—he truly was one of those guys that he, I God, I can't even say it with a straight face. But he just—he played the game well, and he did what he needed to do to be an effective player. And he—and uh, that—and that's very underappreciated. I mean, it's—it's uh, it's very easy to appreciate the Crosby's and Ovechkins of the world who go out there and just and do things with a hockey puck that should—that just normal human beings just physically cannot do, but. There, there is. I have a great appreciation for the guys who go out and are able to carve themselves a 15-year NHL career just by playing hard. And, That's a seriously underappreciated talent. And he has the perfect salary too for a player like him. I just looked it up. He's got. He's making nine. He's not even making a million. He's making nine hundred fifty thousand this year at Florida. That's a. That's a contract that. I just in hindsight being twenty twenty, and I mean he signed July first to Florida, which means obviously there was interest because he's not he wasn't a guy who was available two months two months after July first. But just hindsight being twenty twenty, you give him a million to stay in Dallas, and your penalty kill looks a lot better. <laughs> yeah, and I mean I don't I mean I don't think he's quite a guy that you know makes Dallas's penalty kill. Look- top unit no, not a top unit the no, nhl unit. but it's definitely it's definitely not sitting here with 17 games to go in the regular season being the worst penalty kill arguably in nhl history yeah it's uh that's something we haven't i don't think we've ever really discussed at length is the fact that this penalty kill is historically bad it's not just bad it's historically bad that's something i actually wanted to get into today and it's something where it's it is at one point, it was the second worst. Is it, is it still statistically the worst in NHL history at this moment? I haven't looked since it was either you or Bob Sturm retweeted something that had it as the worst, and that was probably two or three. I mean, it wasn't quite three weeks ago. It was right around the tra- – it wasn't the trade deadline because that was less than a week ago. It was about a week, Here, week and a half ago, and I don't remember. Let's pull up the stats right now. Um and while I'm looking for the stats here, it's, it's something. It's funny to think about too, because this is a team that it's it's probably not going to get much better because of the injury to Roussel. I mean, they had Tyler Sagan killing penalties the other night, so that's that's never a uh, yeah. No we, disrespect to Sags, but he's not a penalty killer. We yeah. So let's see. Sort NHL stats from 1917 through 1918 to 2016-17 uh, penalty kill percentage. 
obviously 100% would be the best. Okay. The worst registered penalty kill in NHL history was the 1988-1989 Toronto Maple Leafs at 72.7%. The Dallas Stars are currently in fourth worst all time at 73.5%. Um, the 93-94 Ottawa Senators were second worst at 73.7%. The Quebec Nordiques in 90 and 91 were the third worst at 73.4%. So Dallas is the fourth worst penalty kill statistically all time right now. And still time to catch Toronto from 88-89 for the worst in NHL history. Right. You want to talk about why this season went off the rails. Don't point at the goaltending because, it's as we've discussed before, it the team this is a very good five on five hockey team but Mm -hmm. if you're i mean an elite level hockey team should be killing penalties of what would you say minimally minimal minimally sorry it's early what 83 84 percent minimally i think like yeah bare minimum i think you're i think you can get away with 80 if your power plays at 25 i think my my personal idea of a good hockey team is your special teams combined to 105 percent um, if you, if you, if you, if this is this is not that difficult to mount. Basically, you take your penalty kill percentage, your power play percentage, and add them together. I think 105 is a winning hockey team um, in general. So you're you have a little bit higher standards than Scotty Bowman does, then, because Scotty Bowman, I believe, said 100 percent combined. Uh, I could. I think if you go 80 20, that's good, because I mean 20 percent on the power play is. Is pretty freaking good. It is no it, over the course it of the is, season. It is, but I'd like my penalty kill to be around eighty three, eighty four, and I, it, I, I, I don't disagree with that. Who's hold? Yeah, the Florida Panthers lead the league with eighty six point one percent right now, and league average is eighty one. Speaking so of penalty kills that Colton Sevier is a part of, yeah, there you go. Let's let's bring this full circle right now. So the Leafs are leading the league with power play at 22.9% and the Panthers are at 86.1%. So if you're combining for 105%, you're an a, a truly elite special teams top night top 99th percentile hockey team. Well, so I mean, you guys I I feel like obviously special teams, but I feel like if you're doing both of those things at that level then you're regardless of unless you are absolutely got awful five on five i feel like you're going to be an elite level hockey team yes yeah just i'm fair it was- scotty bowman has forgotten more about hockey than i'll ever know so you know i'm, I'm good with, i'm fine going with his hundred percent there there's not it's not percent it's just a number added together but but his his right. hundred of the uh, of the two power play percentage and penalty kill percentage added together i'm fine going with the hundred i guess i guess i you aim for 105 and then you're happy with 100 in my mind i guess yeah, for sure. But anyway, to bring that all together, the stars are killing penalties ten percent below what you would ideally like mm-hmm. your very good hockey team to be. So, don't blame anything. I mean, you can blame whatever you want. I don't really care. I'm not gonna. T- I'm not gonna control your thoughts or anything. Mm-hmm. I haven't quite mastered that art yet. <laughs> but if you're looking for a truly definitive reason for why this season has gone the way it is, look no further than the penalty kill. Because it for me it starts and ends with that. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's yeah, and I agree with you completely on that. Uh, it's it's something too where it's 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 just a combination of the factors on it too. Where there's um, it's a bit of positioning, it's a bit of 
the goaltending has, I mean, there's, I'm not, we're not blaming the goaltending. We've gone in through and talked about it's not the goaltender's fault before, and I'm not doing that. But it's, there's also, there's time, there's a couple times where bad goals end up on the penalty kill. Um, and it's also, I think, I'd have to look this up, and I don't have this right in front of me. I think they're getting killed on defense, on, on, Faceoffs and on the defensive zone on penalty kill. I don't. I don't know how to look that up quickly enough to get that into the podcast. But I think that, based on my own eye test and looking at it, you're seeing them. They just aren't winning faceoffs in their own zone uh, on the penalty kill. Uh, give me thirteen seconds 13 here. Thirteen seconds. Wow. Keep, keep, can we? Um, while I'm doing this, can we do a little flashback Monday? Sure. To what? Sure. To what? Do you see what Richard Bachman did last night? I saw he won. I didn't check the stats. Uh, he stopped 43 of 44. Richard Bachman is a... Uh, that's a game, That's a name that I did not know was still kicking. And not... Oh, wait, that's... And, fu- not, and not dead. And not... And not at least and in, not, yeah. At least from a career point. And not the... Uh, Richard, isn't Richard Bachman also the pen name Stephen King uses? <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. It is. It is. I, I, I'm going to look this up real quick. Okay. Yeah, Richard Bachman is the pen name used by horror fiction author Stephen King. Is it a, a pen name? Apparently. Okay. So. All right. Or maybe Stephen King is a pen name that Richard Bachman uses. Mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. Ah, mother of God. I had an idea, and this chart doesn't have face-off percentage. This was Bachman's first game of the season, too. Wow. First NHL yeah. game of the season. Yeah. He's a he's a guy who, if he was not five ten, he'd be a full. He'd be he would he wouldn't have been bouncing back and forth between the AHL and NHL's career. I'm not saying he'd be a starter, but if he was six foot, he'd be a he would have been uh, he wouldn't have been the backup that people keep bouncing back and forth for the younger taller guy. But I don't I don't disagree with that. That's uh, this isn't what I wanted either. All teams. This is players. I want teams. I had. I just had. I had it, and I. But I didn't have it. Now I'm getting angry. All right. Let's. I will find this. Okay. I was as Jesus Christ as my witness. I will find this team stats. Here we go. My go-to is Pucklytics, and they failed me. So now we're we're gonna go on a little adventure. He only Richard Bachman. I'll stick on there while you're looking on your Pucklytics adventure. He only played one NHL game last year. The year before that, he played seven. The year before that, he only played three. I mean, his career high for games played is 2011-12 season with Dallas, where he was played 18 games as a backup. Uh, only played 44 NHL games, but very good AHL goalie and one of the one of the better people too. A very good, very good person as well. From every every dealing I've ever had with him, um, and one of those guys who I bet he's. Uh, I don't know for fact, but I would I would I would guess, and I'll look it up right now because I can. I would bet he's getting a nice uh, getting a nice uh, AHL salary to. Uh, yeah, he is. He's on a one-way contract with Vancouver, so they're giving him five seventy-five, whether he's in Utica or Vancouver. So he's earned. He's earning that. Good for him. 
He was always, I mean, he had a I wish he stuck in Dallas, I mean, obviously, but he uh he had a couple really good games that I remember just off the top of my head and he was always one of those guys that it seems cuz this isn't the first time that I'm that my buddy texted me and is like Richard Bachman is still alive. What did he do last night? Because he had a couple of those games in Edmonton, too, mm-hmm. either last year or two years ago, where he just off his rocker crazy good for 60 minutes of hockey. Okay, I think I got it. Well, he's always been uh, – before we get back, uh, I just, just close the Bachman conversation real quick before you get your stat out there. Um, he's always been, and having seen him play quite a bit in person when he played for Oklahoma City when they were the Barons and the uh, AHL affiliate for Edmonton, he was a guy who would uh, absolutely he, – he's one of those goalies who's better under fire, which I actually think Kari Lentinen's a similar goalie like that. He's a goalie who, when, he's, when, he's, when he faces 15 shots in the first period and he has a good first period, he's not going to get beat for the rest of the night. Um, there's some guys that are like that, and I think, I think Bachman's one of those guys. Um, and, and I didn't watch all of the – I didn't watch the game last – the game he played all the way through last night. I just caught some highlights, so I don't know if he was tested early. But if looking just at his stat line, I would guess that he got to feel the puck early a bit and he got to feel it, and then he uh, just was dialed in for the rest of the game, I would assume. Anyway, your stat that you had. This is actually a little surprising because not surprising because it's exactly what you said it is. The stars this year are forty four point eight percent on all face offs while shorthanded. But okay. they only take five face offs per game shorthanded. They've won hundred fifty and law out wait, not lost. They've won hundred and fifty out of three hundred and thirty five short handed face offs taken this year. Okay. So I mean it's only it's only five per game. But still, yeah, it's still a, they're it's still 17, a factor. Right, they're seventeenth in the league in shorthanded faceoff percentage. Granted, there's only three teams over fifty percent, but still, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, it's as I said when you when you've gotten to the point where, and they're because of the injury to Roussel, and when they're putting when they're putting uh, Tyler Sagan out for faceoffs while shorthanded, it's. It's a bit of a. Uh, that's a bit of that's that kind of tells you a little bit about where this penalty kill is because he is uh, Tyler Sagan is not the most defensively sound player out there, far from it. Um, speak, to say the least. Speaking of Sagan, though, on the other side of the ice, something that uh, it's kind of a bizarre thing to think about, but I know they've lost one of the games and they lost the Islanders five to four. But we're looking at a stretch where the past two games, they've scored probably the prettiest combination of goals they've scored all season. Yeah, finally. Like, I mean, they had... It looks like they're finally clicking right now, offensively at least. Like, they had... I I, want to talk about... Well, not you finish, because basically it was just a stupid point that I was going to make. So go, you just, you do you. Well, no, I'll let you make your point, but I just want to look at the... I mean, you look between the game, the five-four loss to the Islanders and the two-one win against the Panthers. Both goals against the Panthers were pretty. I mean, between the the the, the game-winning goal, Klingberg's goal came after a really nice uh, offensive zone keep by uh, Jamie Ben right at the blue line, reached back, loved the puck down, passed to Sagan, but Klingberg goes bar down. Then uh, the first goal, obviously a tick, uh, tick classic kind of tic-tac-toe play between. Um, Spezza, Sagan, and Ben to, to give Dallas a 1-0 lead. Then we go to the last game where uh, Jamie Ben scores the shorthanded goal 
late in the game that made it 5-4 on the backhand. Really nice individual effort. Um, Spezza's goal comes after. Really nice shot fake, a slap pass by Klingberg to Spezza. And then arguably the goal of the year, or at least from the build-up to it in the zone entry, is Radic Foxa. Radic Foxa deciding, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to try a new way to avoid a check and slides along the dasher on top of the Stars bench for about six feet, holds, still holds possession of the puck somehow while doing it, and then scores about ten seconds later. That Fox goal was kind of was, was ridiculous. It was. That was pretty ridiculous. Can we also talk about how John Klingberg is playing some really good hockey right now? He is. He's looked very good lately. Seven points his last five games. He's up to almost 40. He's up to 39 and 63 games for the season, He's a, which is, I think, about in line with his career averages right now. So, I mean, obviously it's blatant. It doesn't really matter now. I'm my Really, the only point I was going to make was that I'm sitting here thinking, damn it, the Stars are winning games. They're doing that thing where they ruin their good draft pick, and they're still, like, fifth to last in the league in points percentage. So I'm like, okay, that's good. But, no, you're right. I mean, Jamie Benn. We, I mean, we talked about it one or last week or two weeks ago. How he's and he went Ben Beast mode, and it still really wasn't making too much of a difference. Mm-hmm. As Sagan's look good, Klingberg's starting to look good. So I mean, if you're looking, you could there's there's definitely silver linings that are emerging right now. Yeah, which is good because I think this team's going to go into season season go into next season pissed off about how this season went, and they're going to be angry and they're going to want to start ripping heads off yeah it's it's kind of what we said you wanted to see to one extent where you wanted to see the, the start to build up and and figure out what this team was going to be next season and for me the most the best thing to see about Jamie Benn playing as well as he has as he has right now is and he'll never admit it even 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 when the season ends he'll never admit it. he'll say he was healthy all year it really took that long to get over the core muscle, whether it was mental or physical. It really took him that long to get to 100. percent And that's just what that's just kind of what this has shown to me. Where because the bigger the bigger worry was if if he was completely healthy as he said he was in December and November. Well, if that's what he looks like completely healthy, then he wasn't worth the contract they gave him. But but obviously recent trends have showed it just took him that long to get over the injury, whether he'll admit it or not. And he won't admit it. He won't. No, he won't. He's obviously he's a proud guy, and you don't want to go out there and make quote unquote excuse. I don't think anyone would be would even think if he just went out there and said, "Yeah, I was just I was kind of feeling it all year. It took me a long time to go through it." But you know, you that's seen as a perceived excuse and blah 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 blah. Whatever. It's just something that hockey players don't do. They don't go out there and say, "Yeah, I was just kind of feeling crappy all year." Yeah. And obviously, it's a lot more serious than that. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, going back to Klingberg, he is one point away from his rookie year total when he had forty and sixty-five. So he's back up on that pace. So that's good. Yeah, he's yeah. And and obviously, he's he's going to be a big part of the Stars' future. So now, hopefully, everyone can decide that we don't need to trade him anymore. And, and Essa Lindell's looked really good lately too. Actually, um, he. Uh, I think Essa Lindell has been playing, starting to get big minutes, 24, 25 minutes a night. And 
there's still mistakes here and there, but he, and I know some people were kind of worried that, uh, and I even said myself earlier that when the Stars were still in the playoff race, they were forcing, they were, I, I admit myself, I said they were kind of forcing the issue and trying to force that as the top pairing. Um, but now he's starting to look like that player that Team Finland is always high on and that everyone thinks can be a top top pairing, top four guy for the next six, seven years. And he's starting to really lay the groundwork that. I mean, not the way he's playing right now is not the way you want to see him playing five years from now. I'm not saying that, but there are all of the elements there that are showing he can be a shutdown defenseman in the NHL and actually do that on a consistent basis, um, which... That, that's another positive, and it, it's and I, I'm I'm not sure, and maybe that's helping Klingberg too, having a partner playing at a consistent high level the past week and a half, two two weeks now. Oh, for sure, you have confidence in your guy, and you know what? If the stars were going to force that pairing, now is the time to do it because you have literally nothing to mm-hmm. lose. And this is what we talked about last week with trading Oduya, trading Jordy Ben, who I think he scored he's last having night. A, he's he's having fight. a Montreal is actually. I mean, it's. That may be one of the. Um, everyone talks about the big trades at the uh, the deadline. The Jordy Ben trade from Montreal, maybe that small trade where, maybe that minor trade uh, where if Montreal wins a cup, we remember, hey, they 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 acquired Jordy Ben. He helped solidify their defense. He's been playing like sixteen minutes a night for them. He's playing on their penalty kill. He's scoring goals. I mean, he's. Uh, it's like when uh, I don't know. It's the small trades like when. Uh, Remember when Chicago, he was terrible, I think he was terrible in the regular season, but when Chicago traded for Antoine Vermette two years ago, and then he scored like three game-winning goals in the playoffs? Like, mm-hmm. like Yeah. Well, and, and going along with that, too, I mean, 16 minutes a night, obviously, that you hear that, and you're like, yeah, that's nothing, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, as we've seen with Chicago, their past couple of playoffs, playoffs you need defensive depth because they're go- they were going out there playing. Oh, well, this was before last season because last season they lost in the first round, so they don't really matter. But uh, yeah. <laughs> when they were out there, they're playing Seabrook, Oduya, Jalmerson, and Keith 27 minutes a night because they didn't have a third pairing they can yeah. trust. If you have a third pairing you can trust, that takes you so much further into the playoffs than I think people realize. It allows you to conserve your top guys. It allows you, obviously, you know, they're not taking as much of a beating as they would. They can stay fresher longer through and deeper through the playoffs. And Montreal, is, I mean, obviously, Shea Weber, Andre Markov are both two guys who are older up there who have a ton of miles on their body. So that's going to be a huge benefit for them going forward into the postseason. And Montreal has really, uh, they've really embraced the be- They've really embraced Jordy Ben's beard. Like I've read so many, I've looked at, I've read a couple that I've seen so many headlines from Montreal writers about Jordy Ben's beard, um, which is good for Jordy. I mean, he really is, uh, he said it, he said it before the trade that he can, he said it right after the trade that, he and Jamie both said it that he can go to Montreal and be Jordy Ben and not Jamie Ben's brother, and that's actually playing out. And this could be the—I don't know if this is the best possible. I don't know if it was the best possible outcome for Dallas, but it was certainly the best possible outcome for Jordy Ben. I'm just glad that he's in a climate now that'll support yes. his beard. Yes, because I, and I—I I need and to he, say something about the beard with with Jordy Ben. I always thought, and it was unpopular public sports opinion i always thought that his beard was actually better than patrick eve's beard now i'm going to make 
it was definitely yeah. tighter. It was a it was a much tighter cut while still this looking is, yes, impressive. Yes, this, this is my reason. Patrick Eves' beard was allowed to grow and was unruly, and while it was impressive just in the the pure girth of it, Jordy Ben's beard was was well maintained. It still is well maintained and is a uh, clearly got daily care. And uh, I'm talking way too much about other men's facial hair, but um, <laughs> but it was. Uh, it was an, it was an, it was impressive and obviously a lot of work went into it. While Patrick Eve's beard was just allowed to grow into the wild. Yeah, Patrick Jordy Ben's beard was the beards that you see in those those uh, actual commercials about beards. I don't know that those are actually a thing, <laughs> so I'm going to change the subject now because I sound like a moron. <laughs> but I don't remember what I don't even remember what we were just mm-hmm. talking about. Something about, about defense. I said I think. something about Jordy Ben in this trade being the best possible thing for Jordy Ben. Don't know if it's the best possible thing for Dallas, but best possible thing for Jordy Ben. No, well, I'm I'm talking like three minutes before that when I I mentioned Jordy Ben and said he scored the other night. I don't even remember where I was going to be completely honest. Oh, I think it was something about how. Dallas did what they yes, needed to yes, do, and yeah. now just let the young yeah. defenseman play, and it's kind of starting to not necessarily pay dividends, but I think it's it's we're going to see the fruits of those labors over the next fifteen to seventeen games, hopefully, and going yeah. to next season. I also would like to mention how remember when uh, like two years after they dra- drafted Radic Fox, and he was not doing very well in Kitchener, and everyone was like, "Oh, this isn't really that good of a pick anymore. He's going to be like maybe a fourth line NHL center." He could end up with like 40, 45 points this I year. I always hated when people called Radic Fox a bust because um, one of the one a uh, I won't say one one draft insider I'll call him who works for a four letter network uh, kept labeling him as a bust, and I knew I know the reason he labeled him as a bust was because he saw the points in Kitchener. And then he saw him play in Traverse City in his first game back from that shoulder surgery. And so he continued to label him as a bust. And um, this is someone who a lot of people have a high opinion of um, with his draft insight. Um, and it was, and so Foxa became a bust because of that. And I always hated that because that means you weren't looking at how he plays the game. You weren't looking at his body of work and... If he can be an NHL player that's going to score 45 points and be a two-way center, I mean, that, that's those are the types of players that win you games. Those are the type of players that become ultimately become the, the winning parts of teams that are go deep in the playoffs at some point. Well, right, and I think that, I mean, obviously 13th overall is a pretty high pick, but I feel like once you get outside of the, like, when you're picking in the top 10, you want those guys to be elite scorers. Fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. Once you get outside the top 10, I mean, obviously 13th overall is still pretty close to that. I get that. But once you get outside that top 10 range, if you get a guy who could have a 10 to 15 year NHL career that's a, and be useful, not just as like bouncing around between the NHL and AHL, that's that you're getting return on your. That's my, I say that a lot on this podcast, but that's a good value. Mm-hmm. And. We're not just talking about a guy who's going to have a ten to fifteen year NHL career. Well, yeah, he he was he was okay. He's been a really useful player, and I mean, obviously, it doesn't really show a ton this year because the penalty kills awful. Mm-hmm. 
But you, if you continue, if you have like four Radic Foxes on your team, I, I would wager that you would have a pretty good penalty kill. I would, yeah, I would, I would agree completely with that statement. And I can, I can guarantee you that there's 30 other. T- I can say that now. There's 30 other teams in the NHL that would take Radic Fox on their team. Oh, and, and, yeah, and, easily, easily. Yeah. If he was available, I, if, this is, if, I, if, if he was available, theoretically, say Nil had said, you know what, we really need a shakeup, and we're going to put Radic Fox on the trade block for at the deadline last week. I would argue that he would have had twenty five offers. <laughs> yeah, at least, at least. But it's and I used to be in that camp when I was young and dumb and didn't know what I was talking about, which you could argue still right now that, oh man, he's not going to be a top six NHL player. He was a first round pick, blah, blah, blah. This is bullshit. But no, you, he's, he's grown into a really good player. I mean, you can't even call him a late bloomer because he's still 23 years Mm -hmm. old, but he's, he's grown up a lot this year and I'm really excited to see how he continues to grow. And I think you're starting this is our. Is this what is this what a positive podcast looks like? I feel like we're talking about a lot of positive things. We are. Things. We are. I mean, it's we did we did look back early on about like things we like. I, I did start the podcast with make with being angry that Colt Sevier isn't back, so that we did have to dig ourselves out of a hole. So, but I think we're doing a good job of of digging towards positivity. I think we do a lot of digging yeah, on here. Yeah. Well, Fo- and then Foxley, you're starting to see too. I mean. He's got the. It's hard to score goals in the NHL now. That's that's why the guys who do score goals and put up lots of points. That's why they make so much money as they do. But you're also starting to see. And I'm not. I'm not saying that Roddick Fox ever made that move in junior or anything like that. But that goal he scored the other day. The goal he scored the other day where he slid along the boards. He's he has that first round talent that is going to come out from time to time and score the really pretty goal. It's just. Those, those, those are the little skill things that are always going to be part of his game that if you can have that in your second, third-line center, that's that's a huge benefit in today's NHL. I don't disagree I, with I think that. that's something that... Speaking of, po- speaking of positive, Greg Patteron is on an 82-point pace with yeah, Dallas Yeah, but then he was right scratched now. after his first game. Yeah. I thought he was okay in his. I thought Patterson was just okay in his first game. Um, I think he's. I thought his. I don't know whether it was maybe it was his gap control, maybe it was just his positioning, maybe he was playing with a new team for the first time. Um, just he didn't. He I was underwhelmed when by his first game, uh, and he he obviously played in that game where they let up five goals against the Islanders. So he had an assist, but that's a lot of five goals. Uh, he's. I, I really like, uh, and I'm going to go watch him play live this coming weekend. Um, I watched some of the film from him from this past weekend. I really like the kid they got for uh, Lori Korpikoski, Dylan Hetherington. I think he's a, uh, he could be a, he could be a nice find in a couple, he could be a nice, we could be talking about him as a solid, as that, we talked about having those reliable third pairing defensive guys. He's a guy who we're, we could be talking, he's only 21, we could be talking about him in, three or four years as that in two or three years as that third pairing guy that allows the top pair when Essa Lindell and Essa Lindell and John Klingberg are 26, 27, he's the guy we could be talking about two or three in two or three years. What uh, Dylan Hetherington is the guy who allows them to play more and makes life easier on them. I really liked what I saw in him with his first two games with Texas. Um, 
So that's that's positive. Well, yeah, and we we kind of talked about it last week, but whenever you can get a prospect for a guy like Lori Korpakoski, and this isn't to disparage Lori Korpakoski at all, but I mean a guy who you signed 72 hours before the season just to fill a roster spot, basically, to get a prospect who has any sort of upside at all is a win, and as opposed to a pick where you know you got to scout it out, and there's especially the draft pick that it would have been, there would have been very low likelihood of success. Yeah. I feel like. I mean, I shouldn't say that with this team because finding people in the fifth and sixth round seems to be their, their MO. It's, it's, for all the crappy first-round picks that they've made since 2008, they've found a lot of really good players. They're like the guy that overthinks draft. things when you're playing a board game. Like, the, you know what I'm talking about? You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Yeah, I they're, do. They're the I guy exactly who you're playing you're like about. Risk, or you're playing like I, I don't know. You're playing Monopoly, and they and they late at some point in the game, they make like a move in the game where it's like, huh, that was really smart. But then it makes you overlook all the crap where like they just they like intentionally didn't take the free money, or they didn't like invade the country next door and risk like. Yeah, they. Right, they they had a guy on the ropes and cornered in Australia, and they're like, "Eh, no, nah, he's got ten guys sitting right there. I'm not. I'm just gonna let him go." And then three moves moves later, that guy has Aust- all of Australia and then half of Asia. Yeah. And you're like, "How did that happen?" Oh yeah, because he cashed in his cards and he just got two cannons. Yeah, so it's wow. This is a, this was a rabbit hole. I, I did not expect die. to go I down think today. Like... The NHL draft is just like Risk, and the Dallas Stars are that guy. Hmm. Oh my! That's gonna be the tagline forever. I don't care. We found we found. If anyone it. asks about the Stars draft strategy, I'm just gonna clip this podcast and just send it to them. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, to get us on track here, I, I threw out there. If anyone, I threw out there at eight thirty Central, nine thirty Eastern. That uh, about half hour before we started this, about that we were anyone any questions we want they wanted answered. So we got two. So I'll jump into those real quick. Um, from uh, Chris Story, uh, what do you think of Remy Ellie? Do you think he'll keep he'll keep playing this season, or will be sent back down? Um, I thought Remy Ellie was very good in his first NHL game. He was uh, played on the penalty kill. He was. He was made. He had about two or three chances, and he played a simple game. Now, I thought he looked better. I thought Ramielli looked better in, in his first NHL game than he looked in every AHL game I've seen him play this year. Now, that could be one of two things. That could be he's amped up to play his first NHL game. He could play a simpler game, and he wasn't asked to do too much. That could be the one level or the other. And the other thing it could be is the fact that maybe he just uh, maybe his game works better in the NHL game, and they were asking him to do, and he can't be a scorer because he's he's not a scorer. But in the AHL, he's playing a top two line role, and and the lack of production maybe that was overshadowing what he was actually doing. But I thought he looked good. Now it's we've seen lots of players come in and look good in their first NHL game or their first dozen NHL games. Alex Shazon, and let's see. Yes, let's Cough, see what baby they. Uh, Brunstrom. Let's see what they look like when after two after the first four or five games after 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 the uh, after you're not playing that first game with adrenaline and you're not uh, 
playing the game you've dreamed of playing your entire life. But I thought he was good in his first game, and, and so give him all give him all the credit for that. I have nothing to add. <laughs> well, he uh, and, and to answer the second part of that question, um, I think he'll pl- he'll play more than I don't know if he'll continue. I don't know if uh, if he'll still be on the roster tonight against Washington because if Adam Cracknell is available, uh, I believe Cracknell will go will go back in and then they'll lose their uh, um, their emergency. Their, they'll lose the emergency recall on Remy and they'll have to go back down. But I think he'll play again in, in Dallas. Um, I just, I'm not sure if it'll be right now or if it'll be three or four games from now. Um, but I thought he was, uh, I thought he was good in his first game. Uh, other question from, uh, Josh Derrick. Um, do you see the stars trying Alexiak on the power play this season? When he joins the rush, he seems dangerous at times. Ryan, what do you think of Alexiak joining the rush? It's sexy sometimes. I think he. I think that hit the I hit the nail on the head perfectly. There are times when he joins the rush and he looks good as hell, but it's sometimes. Yeah, I'd love to see him on the power play. I mean, he's got a he's got a big shot. I I mean, even you can get wacky with it. And do the uh, the Boston Bruins strategy with Zidane Char and just throw him down low and have his big butt camped in front of the goaltender. I wouldn't mind seeing something like that. I mean, it's especially right now with. Uh... I mean, it's not like the other guys who they've put in front of the net have made have made that a dangerous power play. So why not? Right, and it's like I mean, we're not we're not talking about a defensive group where you have John Klingberg and Julius Honka and Eric Carlson and PK Subban, where you're just oozing with puck moving defensemen right now. I mean, you have John Klingberg, and then you have some defensive minded guys who are capable of occasionally putting the puck in the net. So I don't I. I don't see the yeah. harm in trying it. I think it'd be interesting, and maybe yeah. you find maybe you find that Big Rig is. I, he's just my thing with him is he's just. He's. I don't think he's a guy that you could have sitting up top quarterbacking it because he's just. I feel like his agility is just so wonky. If that makes sense, like he's not very nimble, which is no no shit, Captain Obvious. He's six seven, two hundred fifty pounds. But it's like, like you see John Klingberg up there and how he'll like start moving a little. He Klingberg walks the line well, and I feel like he's gotten a lot better doing that the last couple of weeks. But he's also very good at pivoting and turning around on a dime. And I don't think Alexiak's capable of that. And that's the situation where you'd see him get poke checked and you got a two on o going yeah, the think, other I way. Think Alexiak could be... So he's a guy that I would throw on the throw on the 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 top of the right circle to maybe sit for, I mean, I don't know if he can, I'm sure he can one time he's playing in the NHL, but I don't, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see him out there, just not yeah, necessarily or, up yeah, top. Yeah, I mean, cause he's not, and he, he moves very well for a human that is six foot seven on skates. Um, he moves very well for his size and that's why he was a first round pick in the NHL. Um, but it's the, if you look at Honka, you look at Klingberg, you look at when they're manning the quarterback, even Essel and Dell, when they're manning the point on the power play, it's they can do the little shimmy to the right and make the pass to the left, and it's not a whole production. Jamie Alexiak makes a step to one side, his entire body moves. Um, and so it's it's not as deft, it's not as, it's something where 
I think he's fine. If you want to go a two man, if you want to go a two defense, two defensemen on the point, and the other guy's the 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 uh, the quarterback, and he's kind of just the other the other point man, I'm fine with that. Um, maybe you put him on the uh, on top of the on top of one of the circles in an umbrella type setup for the power play. Um, I just I agree with you there. He's not a uh, he's not the quarterback on 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 a power play unit. Just with, uh, but I'd like to see him thrown in front of that. There's not many other people in the NHL that are going to have his size in front of the other team's goalie. No, and there's, I mean, even if it's one of those things where you start him, you start him in the traditional. You have him sitting, you know, when you're running a two point guy up top and not a traditional. You know, you just have one guy up top and then two guys, a guy at each of the circles. I mean, you have him up top and then you say, hey look to cycle down low and get in front of the net. I don't think there's any harm in that. I mean, he's got five goals in 29 mm-hmm. games this year. He has offensive talent. So I, I just, and at this point of the season, I mean, I get Lindy Ruff is going to do whatever he can to win because he's trying to keep a job or at least mm-hmm. audition for the next job. But if I was coaching this team right now and I had job security for next year, I would, I'd try it. Why not just start experimenting with stuff to see what happens if not merely for the entertainment value, I think that'd be really entertaining to see him out yeah. there on the power play. So speaking in front of, of that, that, what uh, what does Lindy Ruff need to do over the final eighteen games to keep his job? Is there anything he can do to keep his job? Uh, pray that a more attractive alternate is not on the open market. I think <laughs> that's literally the only thing that he can do right now. Is because I think I just. I unless you unless he is given the mandate to fire whoever the hell is controlling the penalty kill, who's controlling? You who's the assistant that does penalty kill? Lindy or is, Lindy, is that Lindy's prerogative? I do. The, do you know uh, that off the top of your head? Um, Kurt Frazier is in charge of the. Uh, uh, Kurt Frazier and James Patrick are in charge of the special teams. The two assistants. If you're given the mandate, if. I think the only way that Lindy keeps his job is you bring someone else in to do special teams. I that's I mean because I mean as we talked mm-hmm. I mean it's not a bad five on five team, but you need yeah. something new on the PK, and I maybe they maybe they have that identified, but I mean just off the top of my head right now, I literally think the only way Lindy Ruff is coaching this team next year is if Jim Nell looks at what's available and doesn't like it. Because I, I think Jim's smart enough to know that you don't get rid of the sixth winningest coach in NHL fourth, history he's the fourth, or fifth, he's the fourth, he is right fourth now. I don't remember off the top of my head. You don't get rid of that guy unless... He's the only one in the top five without a Stanley Cup. Only one in the top fourth five winning without a Stanley coach Cup. In NHL history. Think yeah. about that. But you don't... You don't get rid of that guy unless, yeah, well, he was in Buffalo for a long time, so that makes sense, I guess. Sorry, Buffalo. I don't mean to poop on you when you're down. But I literally think I, Jim Nill's a smart guy, and I feel like he, subs, he subscribes to the thought process that you don't make a change unless you have a better alternate out there, alternative out there. Like, that's right, yeah. I So, I mean, I don't know, I mean, I feel like if Claude Julien was still out there, Dallas would go hard for him and probably end up not getting him and then have to settle for someone else. But I, like, I don't know what's out there right now in terms of 
who would possibly be better than Lindy Ruff. I mean, we talked about this in the past. I don't want them to have Gerard Gallant. I like the style of hockey this team plays, and I'm just from a selfish standpoint, I don't want to see them go all defense, ho-hum, blah, 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 mm-hmm. because I watched that with Ken Hitchcock, and it was boring, and I don't like to be bored watching hockey games. I like the style of hockey this team plays, and if you can find a guy that continues that style while simultaneously making sure the penalty kill is not one of the worst in NHL history, then yeah, go for it. I just do don't I. know who that guy would be right now. And now that, I mean, when you think, when you think about it, when you think about it, I mean, would it be the worst thing in the world if they gave Lindy a, I mean, it'd probably be insulting if they gave him a one year contract with an option for a second year. And I don't know if I was him, if I would take that, but would it be the worst thing in the world if you're Jim Nill to give that to Lindy Ruff and say, we're not bringing any of your I, assistance back? I think you back. could see Jim Nill making a statement like that. The problem is I think I just, I think just it's reached the level where you've reached year four. of You're going to go into five, year five of the Jim Nill era. And I think the uh, – I don't know how much of the decision will just be Jim Nill's because I wonder how much of the – I wonder how much will come down from. That's fair. Will That's there fair. be a mandate? And I think there will be a mandate from the from the top, from the uh, owner Tom Gillardi, that he wants to see a change of direction. I so I think I think Jim Nill would be okay with it. I just don't know if the owner of this team, the guy who pays the checks, if he'd be okay with that. So it's uh, that's fair. That's fair to say. Yeah. It, I agree with you though. There, there are, there are, to have Lindy Ruff back for a year on a one-year contract with different assistants. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but I think you have. I think it'll. I think there'll be a new coaching staff in place. I feel confident of that just because of 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 what the because uh, owners and and it's their right to do it. Owners in general look at teams like fans because they bought the team because they have the money in their fans and. I think that's and, and you have to and it sometimes sometimes management can uh, help talk them out of things like that but you just have I, I just don't I just don't see I don't see how you win that argument because the ownership will look and say well it's two year two out of four years missed the playoffs it's either it's either the coaching didn't get it done or the management didn't get it done and then if you're getting told it's either your job or the other guy's job it's always the other guy's job that goes. Right, no one's falling on their sword like that. But I mean, you say you you I, I, the question you asked was, what does Lindy Ruff have to do to save his job? And I'd argue that there's literally I don't think there's really anything he could do because I feel like him doing enough to save save his job right now would this be this team going on a run over their last fifteen games? And I don't think that even if they go yeah. like fourteen and one over their last, what do they have seventeen games left? If they go sixteen and one, there's I still don't think they're. Well, They'd need a lot of help to get into the playoffs. I still don't even know if that would get them in the playoffs. And then you you have this whole vicious cycle that they did through most of the mid two that well late two thousands early two thousand tens decade where they end up getting the twelfth thirteenth overall pick. And I'd argue right now the best thing for this team is just limping. I mean, not limping out. You want to see them obviously make strides to point two for next year. Yeah, I agree. But the best thing for this team right now is to get a top five pick. And that would do Lindy Ruff doing enough to save his job would I think be counterintuitive to what this team 
kind yeah. of needs right now. Which, which is, is just, why we talked about it before on last Wednesday when we talked about right after the deadline where them trading away, and you mentioned earlier in this podcast, trading away Oduya and Jordy Ben forces Lindy Ruff to play the younger kids because Lindy Ruff was maybe going to play those two older guys and try and save his job. So the, uh, the management did what they had to to make sure that things played out for the rest of the season. Um, it's... Uh, and, and you and you can you kind of answered you answered my question by getting to my point where there's really nothing he can do to save his job unless they're unless somehow and unless somehow he goes I don't know 15 and three over the last 18 games and and there's not really a good attractive option available and management can go to the owner and say look I think we're okay with him here's why don't worry we'll bring in two new assistants that's really the only thing and that's still a, and that's such a stretch still. Right. That's. I mean. That's. Right. I. Yeah. It's. A, it's. One hundred percent a stretch. But I think that. I mean, if you. If this team continue. I mean, you're because you're looking right now. Klingberg's playing well again. Sagan and Ben are both at or slightly over a point a game. If you continued, if these. If you see even if the results aren't necessarily there, if you can see some of these guys starting to improve. And you and your Jim Nill, and you go to Tom Gillard, and you say, "Look, we've identified the fact. I mean, obviously, we 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 identified this three months ago that our penalty kill is absolutely awful. So we feel like bringing Lindy Ruff back on a one-year deal with an option, will with new assistant coaches, will be the best thing for this team going forward. Mostly because we don't see a more attractive alternative out there. I think that that might strike a chord with Tom Gillardy, yeah. but." Like you said, I agree that it's a stretch at this point. So I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I have, I, that's, and that's what worries me a little bit too, mm-hmm. is this team is starting to play better five on five. And I wonder what. Yeah, you have to find a coach, coach, whoever comes in, you have to hope that they're going to be willing that. to play the, hopefully they're going to come in and willing to play the system that best fits this group. Um, and that's just, that's the biggest thing for whoever is coaching this team next year. Right. So. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, certainly. Um, can we finish off with uh, some Patrick Eves talk? Yep. He's got two goals in yep. three games. Two goals in three games with Anaheim. It's uh, it was a, uh, he was the uh, that that's what they were looking for a goal scorer. So that's uh, he's up to what tw- career high twenty three now. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm so torn because I don't like Anaheim at all, but I would love to see Patrick Eves win a Stanley Cup. Well, the, uh, the Stars fans, I put it out there. I, I would, for, just from a, just from a, a selfish perspective, a selfish perspective, not really a selfish perspective, but just from a feel-good perspective, I would love to see it an Anaheim versus Montreal final. Well, uh, yeah. I don't like Canadian teams just because I don't like Canada and I don't like the Ducks because I don't like the Ducks. But that would be fun to watch. Well, as, I, as I put out there, the uh, in the West, the ideal Western Conference final for Stars from a hockey standpoint is Chicago Anaheim in the final because then they get both of their picks get better than. Yep. And talk about talk about yep, talk about exactly. Aduya's injury. I mean, you see, did you see? So the Blackhawks he played the one game for the Stars and came back, and basically the Blackhawks have said basically we're shutting him down until the stretch run. Like he hasn't played since That's he hasn't funny. played since they traded for him. He hasn't even traveled with the team. They basically maybe that maybe that ankle was that. I mean, he didn't look good in that game against Boston. That the one game he played. So maybe that really was the only offer. Maybe Chicago was the only team because they were a team that's in the place in place where they're already going to be a playoff team. 
Maybe that maybe he maybe that tells you that was the only offer because a team that needed would have needed to do you to get over the hump and into the playoffs, he wouldn't have been available for. Right, and you know that Jim No wasn't pulling a fast one because obviously he told teams I can't trade you Patrick Sharp in good faith. So maybe yeah. Chicago's just like, yeah. look, we're we'll give you this and yeah. So we'll see. Well, it was uh this week they've got uh, they have to continue their dad's trip tonight and on Monday which against Washington, who's a good team. Maybe future, I, I hope, future Dallas Stars goalie Philip Grubauer plays for the Capitals, and maybe he'll be part of Dallas next I'm year. I'm glad you're on that bandwagon now. Yeah, I am. You, I, I, I give consider you that a small I, victory in my life. <laughs> I give you, I give you credit for being the first person to get me on that bandwagon. So. Um, I give, I give, I give you. You deserve credit, and on the podcast for getting that in my mind idea in the first place. 